Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we continue in John's Gospel as Jesus is offering his disciples their final lesson on what true discipleship entails. We'll be looking at a part two message from last week, continuing in the theme of Jesus sending the promised Holy Spirit. And now we will see that the witness of the Spirit of God will transform the hearts and attitudes and outlooks of the disciples such that the grief of the crucifixion will be completely overshadowed by the resurrection and the Spirit's indwelling for the hope of eternal life. Thanks for listening. I've been giving a little bit more thought lately to missing uh, my dad. It's been um, coming up on uh, the anniversary of of his passing, and uh, it's going on four years Three years feels like more, but yeah, going on three years. Uh, This past week at Lake Ellen, I had his boat out on the water, and it had me just reminded of uh, what that was like with my dad out there. Kind of, kind of missing him, feeling a little bit alone out there. But then, as I realized uh, in preparation for my sister and and brother-in-law, they were they were coming up here, uh, they were going to go fishing with me. That I found there's a lot of the similar traits that my dad had that he would have in the boat that I try to implement as well. Uh, he would always, every time he was bringing the boat up to the dock, he'd always cut the engine off way back so it would just drift, just drift right up there. And I found, sure enough, I was trying to do the same thing. He'd always have all the poles right where they belong, and he'd have them all ready to go. And so as I was waiting for Carrie and Jimmy to come, I had them all laid out just like he did. And then even as he would go fishing with us as kids, he'd always be giving these pointers. Hey, reel faster, reel it in, or, or, or let it sit. And I found... I was doing the same thing to them as they're fishing. Hey, how about you just leave that sit? Just, it was almost like my dad was there. And in a very real sense, uh, the spirit of my dad is there because the teachings, the values, those attitudes and things that he treasured and valued, they're still present and they have been instilled in me and they live on as spirit continues to live on. This is a very real kind of metaphor as to how you and I can be able to identify where the spirit of God resides. For the Spirit of God is alive. The Spirit of Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit dwells in the hearts and the minds of those of his followers. And so you rightly would be able to identify where the Spirit is based upon the evidence of the further existence of his teachings. Where do you find the attitudes of God? Where do you find the heart of God? Where do you find the fruit that is only produced From the Spirit, because wherever you see those things, the Spirit of God is present. It's all too easy in our world today to sometimes confuse our loneliness with abandonment. You and I might sometimes think that maybe God's left me, and when things particularly aren't going our way, those tend to be the moments where you think, well, Boy, why has God left me to have this happen? Or why has God abandoned me to these circumstances? But nothing could be further from the truth. There is nothing that you face in this life that catches God off guard. And his spirit is given to you not only in the sunshine. He is with you when the clouds gather. He is with you in the moments of darkness. And when rain feels like all your hopes and dreams may be dashed, he has not abandoned you. We're in a series on discipleship, and as we've been, we've been tracing through what it looks like to be a true disciple. I can't think of really a more important message for the church today. We need to give evaluation over our own walk as to how we, how you are following Jesus. 
Are you one of the redeemed? Are you carrying, like I implicitly did with my dad's values, are you carrying the values of the Holy Spirit in your life? God has not left you as an orphan, which means he has given you the helper. And as we have looked at over the, the weeks here, um, in particularly last week, uh, looking in John chapter 16, as Jesus says, it's good that I go away. And so this is really a part two, if you will. This is a continuation of where we left off last week. Um, I'm focusing it around the theme that Jesus shares after telling his disciples He's going to give them the spirit. I've entitled this message. Um, it's, it's really finding joy in him. I have this mislabeled. But that's the, the theme that we're looking at is finding joy in him. As we do, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. Turning there, you'll be reminded once more of the context that Jesus has just told his disciples that he's leaving. And what's their attitude when they hear Jesus is leaving? Good or bad? They're, they're in fear. Whoa, you're leaving? I can't believe you're leaving. Where are you going? They're beside themselves. This has been the one whom they follow. And who are they going to turn to now? Who are they going to ask now for what they need? Uh, Jesus says, it's good that I go away. And there's two things that he reminds them of. First is John 14, verse 1. He says, do not be troubled. Isn't that a good word? Don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, if I go, I will come Back. Come come on now, church. You cannot tell me that's not good news today. That you cannot go right now and and sit right next to Jesus Christ because he has ascended unto the Father, but he has promised to come back. And right now where he is is preparing a place for you. That you will be with him forever. That's That's the first good news that Jesus gives these folks when they're feeling alone, when they're feeling like, not really prepared to have Jesus leave. The second thing that Jesus says, it really came and it was repeated in 14, but then again in chapter 16. Last week he says in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I go away. What do you think? Do you believe that? Do you think the disciples believe that? That it was really for their good? This is why we need to focus on finding our joy. Finding our joy. In Jesus Christ alone. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 17 and work through verse 33. Just a few uh, points of application and conclusion for us. Reading out of the NIV, God's word says this. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does this mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. And so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you'll see me no more? And then after a little while you'll see me. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. But your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of the joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. 
In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you'll ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the father on your behalf. No, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the father. Then Jesus, then Jesus's disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and you don't even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Boy, that's worth an amen, isn't it? Amen. The first thing that I want to point out to you in this passage is that the Spirit's witness in your hearts is the source of true joy. The Spirit's witness in your heart is the source of true joy. I want to make sure that you see this as contrasted with how the world operates. And really, it's probably the pattern that you and I have grown up in, thinking that we only have joy if things are going well. If things are going my way, I'm having a good day. Boy, I was praying to the Lord, and that parking space opened up right at the front of the mall, and boy, that was perfect. And then I went inside, and sure enough, the soap I came for was on sale. Boy, Jesus loves me. Nope. Uh, That's how the world thinks, because what they've done is they've confused happiness with joy, and they have tied the concept of joy to their circumstances. So what happens to them in life begins to determine whether or not they have joy. This is not true for us. True joy does not come. It's not rooted in what is happening to you or your circumstances. True joy is found by the witness of God's Spirit in your hearts. If you know God, you have been given the Spirit. And that, for us, can never be taken away. When we look to the world, uh, we see something different. Uh, The disciples had to understand that their joy transcends what happens to them. It transcends their circumstances. And Jesus helps them to see this because for now they're acting a little worldly. And so he says to them, you are going to have a time right now of grief. That's your time. It's like when uh, Jesus gives an illustration. It's like when you're you're pregnant. When a lady has a baby, um, she's going to go through a lot of pain, Chelsea. Sorry about that. But the pain disappears. It disappears because now you have the joy. And for all of those who have been mothers, that moment when you hold the child, do you then say, all right, I had enough of this. Now you can take it back. Ah, the pain. No, you, you've changed. The, the, the pain, that which inflicted you for that brief moment, has now been completely transformed because there is this new life that is in your presence. 
the doctors don't take it away. They, they leave it with you. That, that blew me away when I first became a dad, right? They handed me my son, and I thought, uh, now what? It's yours now. Good luck, pal. Here you go. It's yours. And, and didn't take it away from me. But that's the kind of joy that Jesus uses as an illustration to describe what it will be like when they are transformed in seeing Jesus now, and then he's going to die, and then in a little while, they will see him again. Uh, when John writes this, he really has a twofold understanding that the disciples, they miss. But Jesus told them repeatedly, when he leaves, he's speaking of his death. And when they see him again, it is both in the resurrection and it's through the indwelling of the spirit. I might have shared this with you last week and you, you may have missed it. Two different Greek words are used there. One that means to see visibly and another means to behold. Right now you will see me, but then you will see me in the same way that you know you have a baby, but then you see and hold the baby. There is a transformation that happens in your heart. And that is where true joy is found because the spirit that lives in your heart, just like the new little life that's there, the spirit is life within you. That's where we find true joy. Uh, these two areas where it's found is through the, the his, historical witness of the resurrection and in the indwelling of the Spirit in our lives. That's the first thing we have to see. Second thing we need to see through this is that true discipleship is, or yeah, true disciples, I should say, the, the true disciple is given direct access to God the Father. If you're, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and this, is, this ought to floor you, and I feel like we really don't emphasize this enough. You have access to God the Father. When I was uh, living overseas as a missionary, uh, the whole island was run off diesel generators. And we appreciated having electricity. It was great. Well, one time I took my um, eighth grade class on a field trip to go and see. We were teaching on the nature of physics and electricity. And so we went to see this. And when we went into these giant diesel generators, the sound that they made rattled your esophagus. I mean, your whole chest cavity was just being pummeled by the sound of these engines. And they had eight enormous engines lined up. You had to wear earplugs. Um, you had to wear helmets to go in there. Uh, there was no question as to the power that it took to produce the electricity. Now, we all know and we're thankful. You plug something in and it works. And I feel like for, for a lot of what we do as Christians, we may take God for granted in that similar fashion. I can pray to God. I can turn to him anytime. Just works fine. Imagine if you could pull the curtain back. Imagine if you could see the power. Imagine if you could see the might of the angels, the cherubim and the seraphim, these burning ones in power. When they encounter the living God, they fall down declaring, holy, holy, holy. You have access to that God through the Spirit. That ought to really cause us to, hmm, I, I need to make sure I'm, I'm giving proper respect and attention to the privilege that it is to be given the Holy Spirit. Um, you do not need, as the disciples were accustomed to at this point, to have to go through any man. In, in, in the practice of Judaism, uh, a sinner could not go before God. They had to have a, uh, an intercessor. They had to have a mediator that would stand between you, the sinner, and God, the righteous and the holy one. Uh, this person had a job title. They were called a 
priest. Don't know if you were catching that. They're called a priest. You couldn't go directly to God. You had to go through a priest. And this priest himself had to make reparations for their own sin. Otherwise, they would fall down dead. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're not going to need to do that anymore. You get to go directly to God. Uh, There's a passage in Hebrews. uh, The writer says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the same message that Jesus is telling the disciples here. If I could direct your attention back into the text, you will see that he says to them, no one's going to have to um, go through uh, an intermediary now. You get to go directly to God. In fact, if you look at verse 23, he says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Now, imagine you were there again. Imagine you're one of the disciples and you need something. Who are you going to ask? Come on, who are you going to call, Ghostbusters? You're going you're gonna to go to Jesus for whatever you need. But then Jesus says to you, I'm leaving. And you say, can I get your cell number before you leave? <laughs> Maybe your email address, right? Yeah, but he says, I'll give you something even better. You're no longer going to have to ask me. You get to go directly to God the Father. It's an amazing privilege. One that I feel like we, without recognizing the, the newness that this would have meant for the disciples, we just take it for granted. And we forget the immensity of the privilege that it is to call upon God any time that we need. Secondly, you're not limited in proximity. As a disciple, you had to be near Jesus. If you wanted to ask him something, you were only within earshot of having to ask him. And Jesus says, it's good that I go away so that I can send to you another helper, another of the same kind, just like me, who will be with you. How long, does the Bible say? How long will the Spirit be with you? Forever. Always, we'll never leave you. It's like having a, a permanent, full five-bar reception in our spirit. You can, you, you're never out of a reception area with God. You can always, always call upon God. For the disciples, they were going to have to find Jesus. Where, where do you go now? Well, he's walking on the water again somewhere. We've got to hunt him down. Right? They've got to go ask him and find him because they're limited by space and time. Um, The Holy Spirit, now given to God's children, allows you to call upon him anywhere, at any time, under any circumstance. What a privilege that is. And then thirdly, asking the Father is conditioned. And this is something that i got to spend a little bit of time on because I want to make sure we catch this right. I could really spend too much time on this, but I'll do that for you another day. So again, in verse 23, he says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you... Whatever you ask. Did the verse end there? What did it say next? In my name. In my name. Oh, okay. Pay attention to that now. This, this is very important. The condition that's placed, placed upon your privilege to have direct access to God is a condition that you ask in accordance with Jesus' name. And let me uh, take a moment there to explain what that means. If you could turn with me back to chapter 14. Just look back there real quick. Chapter 14 in verse 14. You will see this mentioned there again. But I want you to start in verse 13 of chapter 14. 
And we need to really give evaluation over how we pray. Do, do you guys ever, when you pray, say at the end of your prayer, and in Jesus' name, amen. That's not how you hang up the phone. That's not like the way you end prayer, just by tacking that on the end. That doesn't work. Nor is it some like magical incantation, like it'll make my prayers come true now because I said in Jesus' name, but I didn't. The soap wasn't on sale. I prayed in Jesus' name, though. How come it's not? He said, I'll give me whatever you ask in my name. You're, you're still missing the point as to what this means. So that's what we need to look at. Chapter 14, verse 13. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. What's the condition here? Jesus' name means that you're doing it for whose glory? Yeah. Anyone in here ever ask God for something to bring yourself glory? Oh, you bunch of liars in church this morning. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that my sports team wins this game. Uh, yeah, all the time people make this mistake. We ask because we want it more than what he wants. And so we're very confused for prayer. We just tack that little thing on the end in Jesus' name, thinking that it somehow made the prayer up to God's ears. Now he's going to listen. And that's not how it works. I want to show you a couple other things. Look in chapter 15. <clears throat> in chapter 15, you will see the same thing mentioned in verse 7 and 8. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. What's the condition? If my words remain in you. Anyone here ever ask God a prayer that wasn't from Jesus's words? That was more from your words? But you're getting bad at raising your hands in church. <laughs> Yeah, here's the condition. If you want to have whatever you ask for, uh, this privilege to have direct access to God, it must be Jesus's words, not your words. It has to come from the heart of God. He, the promise is there if it's according to those conditions. A couple more just to point out to you. <clears throat> if you look with me in verse 16 of the same chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Hmm. The condition here was bearing fruit. And the way you bear fruit is remaining. The way you remain is loving Jesus. The way you love Jesus is by... Uh, you guys are tracking. Good. This was lesson number one as a disciple. If you say you love him, you will. So what's the next verse say? This is my command. Love each other. Dear Jesus, I pray that you would just put hail and brimstone on this person and just, just make them so uncle. Is that loving them? In Jesus' name, I pray. Is that going to work? No, you, you're missing the point again. You have to pray in Jesus' name according to the words of Jesus for the glory of the Father, which is the will of Jesus. You have to pray in Jesus' name mean that you're obeying what Jesus would say. Only one more I want to point out to you because I, I won't belabor the point too much further, but this one you're going to have to hold your spot here and turn to 1 John. So flip to the back of your Bible, the little letters right before the book of Revelation, 1 John, right to the end of his letter in chapter 5. I think John probably understood this perhaps better than many of the other disciples for it shows up in his writings. He was called the beloved disciple. And we know that he lived, lived all the rest of the disciples. No doubt seeing the progress of the church. That God in his faithfulness allows you access to the Father. But conditioned upon 
how we pray in Jesus' name. This is John chapter 5, if you look with me, in verse 14. John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Do you remember the writer of Hebrews? I had it up here on the screen a moment ago, right? He says that Jesus is our great high priest, one that can empathize with what we have. And so we approach God with what? Fear or confidence? We come with confidence that he will hear us. Same concept coming here out of John. So John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we ask of him. What's the condition? You must ask according to his will. Anyone in here ever ask according to their own will? In fact, I'd say that's maybe the majority of it. This is why the Apostle Paul, in writing the Romans, he says, you know what, guys? Most of you don't even know how to pray. And I'm like, yep. I make that mistake all the time. But he says, but the Spirit, who knows the heart of God, knows and searches your mind. And he helps you with groanings that words can't express. The Spirit for us is our helper. The Spirit for you is that divine SIM card that's installed in your spirit that allows you to have direct access to God. You don't need to be in the proximity and space-time of, of Jesus having to be right there. You're not limited in that sense. But you are required to ask God according to these conditions. And that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. If you got that, say amen. amen. All right, good. Lastly, the third point here is the indwelling of the Spirit as our source of true joy brings peace. Indwelling of the Spirit as the source of true joy brings peace. What this means is that when you begin to shift your understanding of where you find your joy, not in your circumstances, not that you found a a seed in the shade at the concert, not that the vitamins you wanted to buy were on sale. Um, That is finding joy in your circumstances. But when you find your joy by the indwelling of the Spirit in you, you will no longer be touched by circumstances. Come on, be honest now. Is life always just rose petals and sunshine? Like, that's all the time for you. No. No. You and I, we go through hard times. I know this is true because what did Jesus promise at the end of our reading today? Did you catch it? Verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you'll have peace because in this world you will have what? I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you, church. You're going to have trouble in this world. In fact, the more that you desire to be a follower of the King of Kings, the more the world's going to be upset with you. The more you witness upon the gospel truth that we are saved by grace and not by works, the more the world is going to say, I I don't think I want anything to do with what you're saying. And the more that you begin to point out by your witness and your words what sin is. Let me tell you something. The world does not want to hear that as well. You will have trouble. Jesus says, I've told you this so that in me you will have peace. Now, we're, we're going to try to coalesce a few things. We're going to try to bring a few things together here because as we've been looking at the Spirit and as we've been in a series on discipleship, we have been endeavoring here as God's people to add to our faith characters and qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. I got some Lake Ellen staffers with us today in worship. What is the fruit of the Spirit, Lake Ellen staffers? Go on, say it out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
Very good, very good. Let, round of applause for these guys. Way to go. They, we didn't rehearse that, but they rehearsed that. At camp, they got one of the songs that they sing with the kids, and it has motions, and I am terrible at the motions. Um, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. First three, love, joy, and if you say you love me, you will. Where do you find true joy? Not in your circumstances, but in the dwelling, indwelling of the Spirit. And he's told you this so that you will have is that, isn't that a coincidence? All the truths that we're finding about the indwelling of the Spirit just happen to match up with the fruit of the Spirit. You know what that means? That means that the Spirit of God is alive wherever we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And that is what we have been privileged to work towards. Following God. Realizing we are not left as orphans. We are not left to ourselves. He has given you His Spirit And where you see the fruits of the Spirit show up in your life, that is where the Spirit of God dwells and lives. And it means you have direct access with God. You know, one thing I feel like we miss on this is that when it comes to finding true peace, the Spirit of God is not like a force. I think people forget this. I think people sometimes think of the Spirit as like, you've seen Star Wars, right? May the force be with you. People think, oh, that's like, the, yeah, may the Spirit be with you too, right? I feel like people confuse that all the time. Nor is the Spirit just an idea. He's not just like this concept or this awareness. He's not this lesser God. Hear me now. The Spirit of God is God. Let, let that just sink in for a moment. What that means is, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit who lives within you is always with you. You carry God with you wherever you go. There ought to be for you immense peace when you realize that it's not just an idea or a force or some lesser God. It is the creator God that has been given to indwell you. Not only should you have peace, I think some of you should probably have a little bit of fear with that too because that means that you carry God into places maybe God wouldn't want you to go. All the more for his loving chastisement of discipline to keep us on the right path. Peace comes from God because Jesus has overcome the world. Verse 33 teaches us, as Jesus shares with his disciples who are, again, troubled in their hearts, he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And I want to leave you kind of with that idea as we move into some application. That when you know the end of the story, this is what it means to be able to find true joy. Occasionally, um, when... Uh, the Packers are playing. I'm, I'm trying to watch one of the games. And I will be texting or calling my sister who lives in Ohio. And because of broadcast uh, latency, sometimes either my game is a little bit ahead or is a little bit behind of what she's watching. And so every now and then, I'm being a little vain right now, but just deal with it, okay? So if I'm watching the game and I want them to score, but I don't know if they're going to score, she'll text me. All right, thumbs up, thumbs up. But it hasn't happened on my end yet. I'm, st- I'm still waiting. I'm still watching. But I get that text from her and I know what's about to happen. Something good's about to happen. I don't know what it is. And I'll do the same thing. When I'm watching the game and I know I'm uh, like 30 seconds ahead of her, I'll see we get an interception and I'll be like, you're going to love what's coming next. Exclamation point. Listen, Christian, you're going to love What's coming next? He has overcome the world. He has won the victory. That word there, overcome, it means to conquer. 
It means to have won the battle. There, there's no more nail biting. Is it? What's the score going to be? Game's done. It's won. He has conquered. If you lock that down, if you let that become how the Holy Spirit ministers to you in the middle of those hard circumstances, you, look, you might not have happiness, but you can have joy. You can have joy because joy transcends the moment of what you and I face. It's rooted in Jesus Christ and you have access to God. You don't deserve that. He gives you free access to the Creator God by the indwelling of the Spirit. He will never take Him away. He's with you forever. And that when you begin to lock that down, you will recognize what true peace is. So what do we do with this? I want to give you basically one command. Are you ready? Here it is. Remember. Christian, Christian, you need to remember You are not alone. You are not alone. Whatever you face in this life, you carry the spirit of the living God with you. He is always there to help you. He is always there to direct you and guide you. I think it's probably the height of foolishness for somebody to try to make their way on their own when the one sitting across from them knows exactly how to get there and how much more reason you and I should call upon the name of our Lord more often. Are you on your knees frequently? How do you start your day? How do you end your day? What does your relationship with God look like? Is the Bible just something that you keep as a trinket on the shelf so that people can see, oh, you're a holy person when they walk in your home? Or are the pages worn with use? You see, you and I have the privilege of knowing God in a way that the world doesn't know. And that to offer you something that the world has no access to. They're scrambling out there. To make themselves happy. Woven into our constitution for goodness sakes. The pursuit of. Yeah listen Christian. You ought to pursue holiness. Because pursuing happiness is linked to your circumstances. Knowing God will give you joy. You are not alone. You need to remember that. So uh, we will have anxiety when we forget that he is already with us. He'll never leave us. You'll get more anxiety when you um, forget that he has promised to give you whatever you ask for with a. Decent asterisk behind that. We all got that, right? I I had you say amen, right? In Jesus' name, you know what that means. And then lastly, we sometimes forget that he's actually won the victory and the battle is over. So stop forgetting. Remember these things. Remind yourselves of these things. Find that that happens because you're saturating yourself in God's truth and God's word, that you're investing yourself in his people, that you are giving of yourself to serve. And all along, you will be reminding yourself that the indwelling of the spirit has offered to us something that's very real for Jesus' disciples in this day. Jesus says, I'm leaving, but it's actually good because you're going to get something better. And that's what it means to be a true disciple. I just want to close with this one verse here, Matthew 28, 19. And and again, draw together a lot of the themes that we've been looking at. Jesus says um, that you're to go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we've been in this series on discipleship, hopefully you can attach a lot of the conclusions that we've come to to this exact commissioning from Jesus. If you love him, you will. If you're a true disciple, you're going to produce fruit, but you can only produce fruit if you remain in him. And so baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you need to remain in him and in his truth. 
Uh, We know that we're commanded to love as Jesus loved. And so you're going to go to who? Just your buddies? All, All peoples, all nations. You already know that persecution is going to be a guarantee. So what does Jesus say? I'm with you always. Even if you're persecuted, you're not alone. He's given you his spirit. This was last week. Do you remember the major point of last week? Should you pursue Christ for all the benefits of Christ? Or should you just pursue Christ for Christ alone? Do you remember that? That was kind of the conclusion of of where I wanted to draw us to. It's not a matter of just continuing to add little merit badges to your Christian sash. No, you need to just pursue Jesus for Jesus' sake. I want us to sing a song uh, that has these themes wrapped up in it. And I want to invite you to just use the time to prayerfully examine how Jesus is with you. And how wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. That these truths are your truths. They've been given to you. 